0: Good afternoon, this is Pamela, and you're listening to Watchmen on the Pod. We're going to continue in our book reading today in Chapter 3 of The Secret Terrorist, written by Bill Hughes. Presidents Harrison, Taylor, and Buchanan. William Henry Harrison was elected to the presidency of the United States in the year 1841. He was already well up in years at age 67, but he was in very good health and robust. All who knew him felt that he would have no problem going through his full four years in office. However, just 35 days after taking the oath of office, President Harrison was dead on April 4th. 1841. Most, if not all, encyclopedias will tell you that he died of pneumonia after giving his inaugural address in the severe cold of Washington, D.C., but that is not correct. He did not die of pneumonia. When Harrison came to office, A very tense situation existed in the country. Trouble was brewing between the North and the South over the issue of slavery. There was contention over the annexation of Texas, whether it would be admitted free or slave. An attempt had been made on President Jackson's life just six years before. Harrison took office a short 20 years before the Civil War. The influence of the Jesuits was weighing heavily upon America, heavily upon America. As we already seen, the congresses of Vienna, Verona, and Zurich were determined to destroy popular government wherever it was found. The prime target was the United States, and the destruction of every Protestant principle. The despicable Jesuits were ordered to carry out this destruction. Andrew Jackson faced the onslaught of the Jesuits via the political minefields of John C. Calhoun and the financial wizardry of Nicholas Biddle. William Henry Harrison had also refused to go along with the Jesuits' of goals for America. In his inaugural address, he made these comments. We admit of no government by divine right. Believing that so far as power is concerned, the benefits, I think <laughs> benefice, I think it is creator has made no distinction among men, that all are all are upon an equality, and that the only legitimate right to govern is upon the express grant of power from the governed. Burke McCarty the suppressed truth about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Arya Varta, Publishing, page 44. By that statement, President Harrison had just incurred the deadly wrath of the Jesuits. With these unmistakable words, President Harrison made his position clear. He hurled defiance to the divine right enemies of our popular government. Burke McCarty is talking about Rome when she says this. Ah, he did, all he did more for those were the words of the signed his death warrant. Ah, just one month and five days from that day, President Harris lay a corpse in the White House. He died from the arsenic poisoning administered by the two tools of Rome. The Jesuit oath had been swiftly carried out. I do further promise and declare That I will, when opportunity presents, make and wage relentless war secretly or openly against all heretics, Protestants and liberals, as I am directed to do, to to extirpate them and exterminate them from the face of the earth. That when the same cannot be done openly, I will secretly use the poison cup, regardless of the honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the person or persons whatsoever may be their condition in life, either public or private, as I at any time may be directed so to do by an agent of the Pope or superior of the Brotherhood of the Holy Faith of the Society of Jesus. Wow. For nearly a thousand years, the Roman Catholic Popes felt that they ruled by divine right, that their power had come directly from God, and that all men were to bow to their authority and control. If a ruler would not submit his position and the country he ruled into the hands of the Pope, then that person had no right to rule. When Harrison stated that we admit of no government by divine right, he was declaring that, the, that he and the United States were in no way going to submit to the Pope's control. To the Pope and his heinous Jesuits, this was a slap in the face that they felt must be dealt with immediately. It was not Harrison alone that had rejected Rome's authority, for he was simply stating what the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution had declared before him. Our Republic totally refuse the control that the Pope and the Jesuits were trying to apply. When a nation, church, or individual refuses to submit to the authority of the papacy, they they are finished. Unless God intervenes, the lives of those opposing the papacy will be terminated. This concept is completely foreign to the thinking of people who have lived under a free constitutional government. The inalienable rights to worship God according to the dictates of one's own conscience and a government without a king are taken for granted in the United States today. We don't realize that Harrison's statement was a dagger aimed at the heart of the papacy's existence. Another ruler who refused to be dictated by the papacy was Queen Elizabeth of England. She was one of Henry VIII's daughters and ruled England from 1558 to 1603. She ascended the throne following the death of her half sister, Bloody Mary, who ruled England from 1553 to 1558. Mary had been a Catholic sovereign, but Elizabeth was a Protestant. <clears throat> After her ascension, Elizabeth wrote to Sir Richard Crane, the English ambassador in Rome, to notify the people of her ascension. But she was informed by his holiness that England was a lie. Wow. Servant or slave. Really? Is that what that says? Of the Holy See. That Elizabeth had no right to assume the crown without his permission. And that she was was not born in lawful wedlock, and could not therefore reign over England, that her safest course was to renounce all claims to the throne, and submit herself entirely to his will, then he would treat her as tenderly as possible. But if she refused his advice, he would not spare her. She declined the Pope's advice, and the hatred of Pius and his successors was assured. J.E.C. Shepherd, the Babington, the Bab-ing-ting Plot, Wittenberg Publications, page 46. Queen Elizabeth wisely rejected the assumed divine right of the papacy to rule over and control the throne of England. Because of this, there were at least five attempts to assassinate her. These attempts all failed because she had a superb secret service group and her life was saved. When the papacy realized that all their efforts to assassinate Elizabeth had failed they turned to one of their catholic sons Philip II of Spain in 1518 the papacy arranged for Spain to invade England Later let's see, let's see. Okay later on it was Pope Sixtus X who promised Philip of Spain a million scudi to assist in equipping his invincible armada to destroy the throne of Elizabeth. And the only condition the Pope made in bestowment of his gift, he should have the nomination of the English sovereign and that the kingdom should become a... I I can't read that word, something of the church. So I'm thinking like entity or whatever part of the church. The famous Spanish Armada was sent to crush England because Elizabeth would not give her throne and kingdom to the Pope. For 30 years, the Jesuits tried to kill Elizabeth but failed. Finally, they conspired with Philip II of Spain to annihilate her with the Armada. We charge the Popes of the succession with being the prime movers in the entire adult life. Of Elizabeth to deliberately destroy her and her kingdom, forcing England's return to the domination of their evil enslaving system called the Roman Catholic Church. Not only was the Pope the prime mover of the seditious intrigues in England, but he was the mainspring of the ongoing treachery. The Pope insisted on exercising absolute authority and sovereignty over all kings and princes and dared to assume the prerogatives of deity in wielding his spiritual and temporal swords. Hmm. Likewise, as William Henry Harrison took his oath to become the president of the United States, the Jesuits saw a man that openly opposed them and their plans. Unfortunately, President Harrison was poisoned just 30 days, 35 days into his term of office. General Harrison did not die of natural Disease. No failure of health or strength existed, but something suddenly and fatal. He did not die of apoxlexy, epox, that is a disease, but arsenic would produce a sudden effect and it would also be fatal from the commencement. This is the chief weapon of the medical assassin oxalic acid. Pursuic. Acid or salts of strychnine—I don't know what that is—would be almost instant death, and would give but little advantage for escape to the murderer. There, his therefore his was not a case of acute poisoning. When death takes place almost instantaneously, but of chronic, where the patient dies slowly, he lives about six days after he received the drug. John Smith died, the adder's den, page 37. I'm thinking about, you know, this several times this person has quoted this John Smith Adams, the adder's den. It might be worth looking into. We'll see. Okay. United States Senator Thomas Benton concurs. There was no failure of health or strength to indicate such an event or to excite apprehension that he would not go through his term with the same vigor with which he commenced it. His attack was sudden and evidently fatal. From the commencement, Senator Thomas Benton, 30 Years View, Volume 2, page 21, quoted in John Smith Dye's book, The Adder's Den, page 36. William Henry Harrison became the first president to fall a victim of the Jesuits in their attempt to take over the United States, destroy the Constitution, and install the papacy as the supreme ruler in America. If any U.S. president or any other leader refused to take orders from the Jesuits, they too would be targets of assassination. Zachary Taylor refused to go along with the destruction of America, and he was the next to fall. Taylor was known as a great military man. His friends called him old, rough, and ready. He came to the White House in 1848, and 16 months later, he was dead. They used the invasion of Cuba as a test for President Taylor and had their plans ready to launch their nefarious scheme in the early part of his administration. But from the very beginning, But from the very beginning, President Taylor snuffed out all hope of its consummation during his term. Burke McCarty, The Suppressed Truth About the Assassination of Abraham Lincoln, Aravarta, Publishing, page 47. Here is what would have happened if Zachary Taylor had invaded Cuba. There was Catholic austria Catholic Spain, Catholic France, and, Ca- and England all waiting, ready to do battle with the United States of America if he had invaded Cuba. What chance would this young republic have had against the united powers of Catholic Europe as at that time? The Papacy well understood this, and that is why they pushed Taylor so hard to invade. Taylor committed another crime against Rome. He spoke passionately about the preservation of the Union. The Jesuits were striving hard to split the nation in two, and the president was trying hard to keep it together. Jesuit agents John C. Calhoun visited the Department of State and requested the president to say nothing to his forthcoming message about the Union. But Calhoun had little influence over Taylor, for after his visit the following remarkable passage was added to Taylor's speech. Attachment to the union of states should be fostered in every American heart. For more than half a century, during which kingdoms and empires have fallen, this union has stood unshaken. In my judgment, its, dis- its dissolution would be the greatest of calamities, and to avert that should be the steady aim of every American. Upon its preservation must Depend on our happiness of that of generations to come. Whatever dangers may threaten it, it shall stand by it and maintain it in its integrity to the full extent of the obligations imposed and power conferred upon me by the Constitution. John Smith died at Den page 51 and 52. McCarty picks up the story from here. There was no quibbling in this. The pro-slavery leaders had nothing to count on in Taylor, therefore they decided on his assassination. The arch plotters, fearing that suspicion might be aroused by the death of the presidents early in his administration, as in the case of President Harrison, permitting him to serve one year and four months, when on the 4th of July, arsenic was administered to him during a celebration in Washington, at which he was invited to deliver the address. He went in perfect health in the morning and was taken ill in the afternoon about 5 o'clock and died on the Monday following, having been sick the same number of days and with precisely the same symptoms as with his predecessor, President Harrison, Burke McCarty, the suppressed truth about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Aravarta publishing page. 48. The slave power, the Jesuits, had now sufficient reason to count him as an enemy, and this history, or his history, gave them to understand that he never surrendered. Those having slavery politically committed to their care had long before sworn that no person should ever occupy the presidential chair that opposed their schemes in the interest of slavery. They resolved to take his life. This the slave power, the Jesuits, understood, and they determined to serve him as they had previously served General Harrison, and only waited, does that say served? Yeah. And only waited a favorable opportunity to carry out their hellish intent. The celebration of the Fourth of July was near at hand, and the resolve to take advantage of that day and give him the fatal drug. John Smith died at den, page 52 and 53. Six years later, James Buchanan, a Pennsylvania Democrat, was elected president. James Buchanan had wined and dined with the Southerners, and it appeared as though he would go along with their desires. The new president proved himself a decided trimmer. Although he was a northern man, he had strongly courted the southern leaders and given them to understand that he was with them. Heart and soul, in short, he double-crossed them. Oh, wow. Wow. Huh. The gentleman had had this... to the ground evidently and had heard the rumble of the abolitionist wheels he coolly informed them that he was president of the north as well as the south this change of attitude was indicated by his very decided stand against jefferson davis and his party and he made known his intention of settling the question of slavery in the free states to the satisfaction of the people in those states. Burke McCarty, The Suppressed Truth About the Assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Aravarta, Publishing, page 50. James Buchanan didn't have to wait long to find out that the Jesuits would do to him for double-crossing them. On Washington's birthday, Buchanan's stand became known, and the next day, he was poisoned. The plot was deep and planned with skill. Mr. Buchanan, as was customary with men in his station, had a table and chairs reserved for himself and friends in the dining room of the National Hotel. The president was known to be an inverte tea drinker. In fact, northern people would rarely drink anything else in the evening. Southern men prefer coffee. Thus, to make sure of Buchanan and his northern friends, arsenic was sprinkled in the bowls containing the tea and lumped sugar and set on the table where he was to sit. The pulverized sugar in the bowls used for coffee, on the other hand, on, on the other tables, was kept free from the poison. Not a single southern man was affected or harmed. Fifty or sixty persons dined at the table that evening, and as nearly as can be learned, about thirty-eight died from the effects of the poison. President Buchanan was poisoned, and with great difficulty his life was saved. His physicians treated him understandingly from instructions given by himself as to the cause of the illness, for he understood well what, was the matter. Since the appearance of the epidemic, the tables of the National Hotel have been almost empty. Have the proprietors of the hotel or clerk or servants, suffered from it? If not, in what respect did their diet and accommodations differ from those of the guests? There is more in this calamity than meets the eye. It's a matter that should not be trifled with. The New York Post, March 18, 1857. James Buchanan was poisoned and almost died. He lived because he knew that he had been given arsenic poisoning and so informed his doctors. He knew that the Jesuits poisoned Harrison and Taylor. The Jesuit order fulfilled their oath again that they would poison, kill, and do whatever was necessary to remove those who opposed their plans. From 1841 to 1857, we saw that three presidents were attacked by the Jesuits as outlined in the Congresses of Vienna, Verona, and Cherie. Two died and one barely escaped. They allow nothing to stand in their way of total domination of America and the destruction of the Constitution as they look at america the priests of rome have stated we are also determined to take possession of the united states but we must proceed with the utmost secrecy silently and patiently we must mass our roman catholics in the great cities of the united states remembering that the vote of a poor journeyman though he be covered with rags has as much weight in the scale of powers as the millionaire astor and that if we have two votes against this one against his one he will become as powerless as an oyster let us then multiply our votes let us call our poor but faithful irish catholics from the every corner of the world and gather them into the very hearts of the cities of washington new york boston chicago Buffalo, Albany, Troy, Cincinnati. Under the shadows of these great cities, the Americans consider themselves a giant, unconquerable race. They look upon the poor Irish Catholics with supreme contempt as only fit to dig their canals, sweep their streets, and work in their kitchens. Let no one awake those sleeping lions today. Let us pray, God, that they continue to sleep a few more years longer, waking only to find their votes outnumbered as we will turn them forever out of every position of honor, power, and profit. What will those so-called giants think when not a single senator or member of Congress will be chosen unless he was submitted to our Holy Father, the Pope? We will not only elect the president, but fill and command the armies, man the navies, and hold the keys of the public treasury. Then, yes, then we will rule the United States and lay them at the feet of the vicar of Jesus Christ, that he may put an end to their godless system of education and impious laws of liberty of conscience, which are the insult to God and man. Charles Chanaquay, 50 years in the Church of Rome, Chick Publishing, pages 281 and 282. When they say vicar of Jesus Christ, they mean the Pope. And that ends chapter three. Next chapter will be about Abraham Lincoln. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray with all of my heart and soul that you will go to the Father in prayer. Seek his wisdom. Ask him to fill you full afresh of the precious Holy Spirit and give you the discernment that you need, that I need, we all need. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a very dangerous day. Do you realize, do you know, do you understand that Joe Biden is a Roman-Irish Catholic? He's a Jesuit. He's a Jesuit. He's not the only one. He's not only working with the Jesuits people. He is a Jesuit. He's out to destroy America, and if that is not evident in in the what is does it call the executive orders that he has signed the things that he is doing, how much further in debt he is creating this, this country into on how he has plans of a socialist government. Socialism is not a good thing. It is not of God, brothers and sisters. It's not, you know, by giving out all of this money, he's making people lazy. And then, attorneys making them dependent upon the government. Once people become dependent upon the government in order to sustain their life, they're going to do whatever the government says. I'm not kidding. It's happening. I don't know if you see it. You know, my son, his uh, wife, now, um, my son believes socialism is great, but it's not. And I keep praying that his eyes are being open. but she lost her job and they wanted to buy a house. Well, they can't now because she lost her job. And so she's been looking for a job. And he said that she put over, I believe, 500 applications and no one's called her back. And I said, well, son, I says, everywhere you look, they say they're looking for help but nobody wants to work and nobody does want to work. Why? Because they're getting free money. You know, they think it's freedom, it's really not. It's costing your soul. But uh, he says, Mom, he says, people are just putting help wanted out because that way they don't have to pay the government back the money that they have received. But they're not hiring people, they make it look like they are. And I thought, you know, on one hand, he seems so intelligent on things and in tune, and on the other hand, so ignorant and blind, you know? But that's what's happening, brothers and sisters. People don't want to work because they're getting free money through this stupid unemployment thing. And and they're really targeting poor Americans with children, too. Because, you know, they're giving out, you know, free food. Plus free. I keep saying free, but it's really not free. Nothing's free in this world. They're even charging for air sooner or later. <laughs> but um, they're giving out, you know food vouchers food stamps they're giving out checks for you know per child in the household especially for poor america and it's just it's getting it's getting more dependent more dependent upon the government and that ought not to be so that is not what god intended that is not what god desires He, he has not wanted that but that is what socialism marxism leninism communism all of it all wrote up into an ism all about. It really is. It's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church is about. So anyway, brothers and sisters, pray. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And your nose in the book, which is the word of God. And embed the word of God upon the tablets of your hearts, my heart. So I, you, will not sin against God or be deceived. How could you walk together lest they be agreed? We can't be agreed unless we know his word. And we're walking in his word. We cannot be our hearer only, but a doer. I love you all. Be safe, brothers and sisters. Be safe. Take this to the Lord in prayer.